I want you to focus on that very phrase this morning, what will you leave to follow? We're starting a brand new series. It's entitled Elisha. That's the prophet who came after the other prophet with a similar name, Elijah. This guy's name is, say it with me, Elisha. And his story, good, that was kind of an echo. I like that. His, his story is a tale of uh, ridiculous faith, ridiculous faith. Now, uh, have you ever noticed that from generation to generation, uh, uh, the meaning of words changes? Let me give you an example, the word bad. Now, bad used to be bad, but now if you're bad... You're kind of good. You're cool, right? Got that? Shake your head, because I can go over this again until I know you guys are with me. The lights are up. You're awake. We're moving now. How about this word? Sick. If, if somebody told me they were sick a few years ago, I would want to step back away from them so as to not be sick as well. Now, if you say someone or something is sick, you mean they're cool. I mean, it's a good thing. If you're sick, you're where you should be today, right? And I think the word ridiculous kind of fits into that pattern too, don't you? You know, when you were ridiculous before, you were a laughing stock, right? Ever been a laughing stock? I, I grew up ridiculous. <laughs> but if, if something's ridiculous now, it's mega. Mega is another word that we didn't ever knew what meant till lately either. And, you know, it's just what you should be, you know, ridiculous. And so I want you to think about ridiculous in those terms as we move through this series over the next month. Uh, I believe that all of us have a defining moment in our life where ultimately our faith is tested. Our desire to follow God is tested. God will place an opportunity, it may only come once in our life, before us, and if we choose to do what he says and go where he asks us to go and leave behind some things that are tough to leave behind, then our faith will be blessed. And if we choose to ignore God and stay in our comfort zone in a place of uh, uh, emotional or spiritual safety, then we may miss out on some of the blessings that God has for us. And so the title of the message today is Get Your Call On. Get Your Call On. Ridiculous Commitment. Ridiculous Commitment. Now, I know because you're here today that you have some level of commitment to God. Or, or maybe you're just happened into the wrong building. I'm not sure, but if I'm going to guess if you're here, there, there's some part of you that is linked to God, connected to God, and, and, and there are some things that, that as a result of your connection to God that, that you feel led, called, uh, obligated to do. There, there's some level of commitment 
in your life. But what I want you to think about is how your life might look, what God might do through you, what healing might come, what burdens might be lifted, what troubles might be a thing of the past. If you were to step up that commitment, if, if your commitment would cease to be uh, lukewarm and start to be ridiculous, if, if it was a, a, a higher calling, a, a more uh, intense calling, a more intense commitment. Now, I told you we were going to be talking about this, this prophet named Elisha. Let me give you just a little bit of background and context. Elijah, the prophet before him, was kind of a hot and cold prophet. He'd get really, really pumped up for God and do great things, and then he'd kind of get depressed. He'd kind of, you know, take off a few weeks, spend some time in a cave, and, and he, he was at one part faithful, one part on fire for God, and another part scared of Ahab and Jezebel, especially. Just saying that name Jezebel kind of gives me the, the tremors too, doesn't it? And so he's, he's back and forth, and it's during one of these kind of down times. Uh, you can, can read about this in 1 Kings 19, where, where God speaks to Elijah and says to him, I am going to allow you some help. I'm going to give you some help. I'm going to ask you to uh, go and anoint the prophet who will come after you. And this guy's name, uh, handily enough, is Elisha. And so here's what happens when Elijah goes and, 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 and does what he needs to do to call, to commission, to ask for commitment from Elisha. Now remember, in Elisha's life, this idea of being a prophet, this idea of, of God doing something amazing with his life, it's brand new. He didn't see this coming. He didn't know that Elijah had heard from God that he was to be the man. So here's where it picks up in 1 Kings 19, and it begins in verse 19 if you have your Bibles out. Elijah went straight out and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, in a field where there were 12 pairs of yoked oxen at work plowing. Elisha was in charge of the 12th pair. I want you to stop and think about that. He's working for his dad, no telling how many kids are in the family or people that are working on that farm. And, and he's in the tail end of the oxen line. Twelve back. Can I tell you what that means? You better watch where you step. Right? Amen? If you don't get that, you've never worked with oxen. Elisha was in charge of the twelfth pair. And Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak over him. What he's doing, in a sense, is commissioning him. He's, he's, he's anointing him in some way. He's, he's throwing his cloak over him. Very similar to our deacon and, and minister ordinations where we lay hands on the candidate. 
Elisha immediately, the Bible says, deserted the oxen. Didn't take him long. He ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and I will follow you. Go ahead, said Elijah, but mind you, don't forget what I've just done. Don't forget the call upon your life. So Elisha left, and he took his yoke of oxen, and he butchered them. He made a fire with the plow and the tackle. And then he boiled the meat and had a true farewell meal for his family. Then he left and followed Elijah, becoming his right-hand man. Now, I want you to see, first of all, that Elisha was nobody special. He, he was just an ordinary man. Anybody here ordinary? I want to tell you from this vantage, you're special. But we're also ordinary. I mean, there, none of us, unless we do something crazy, are going to be on the news tonight. Right? Amen. I hope you're not on the news tonight. I hope I don't have to bail you out of somewhere that got you on the news. We're, we're ordinary folks. Elisha was called to be a prophet. He was called to perform miracles. And a prophet speaks on God's behalf. Now, there's nothing that indicates any part of Elisha's history, nothing that indicates that he would become the man that he became, that he would do the things that he did. Uh, The extraordinary, uh, amazing feats. Uh, If you study the scripture, after Jesus, Elisha, this prophet whom we're going to talk about, participated in the second most recorded miracles in Scripture. We're going to look over the next few weeks at what God did through this guy who was not extraordinary, but who was simply willing to go at the drop of a hat. Now, along those same lines, Elisha kind of had a bad job, didn't he? I mean, he was his father's son, and his father had given him a place there on the farm, and and it it really, really wasn't a very good place. He was the twelfth guy, at least on this day, with the twelfth yoke of oxen plowing land. He had kind of a mundane, monotonous, boring job. Matter of fact, he spent a lot of time staring at the backside of oxen. Now, I just got a question for you, and I don't mean this literally. How many of you spend a lot of your time every day staring at the backside of oxen? Huh? You know what I'm saying? I mean, all of us have stuff we got to do And sometimes that stuff is the same thing we did yesterday and the day before and the day before. If you're in sales, you've got a quota. you got to meet it. And and you may be seeing different people and, and, and you may be in different places, but you're still doing the same thing. Maybe you work in a factory on an assembly line. 
You're kind of staring at the backside of oxen there, aren't you? Maybe, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. And, and, and when we're a stay-at-home mom, and that's kind of just starting out for you, you're putting uh, Infamil down the baby, you're wiping it off you, and then you're changing diapers. That's, that's staring at the backside of oxen. Maybe you're doing that spiritually. Maybe somewhere along the way, and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you've never began a spiritual walk with Him, you need to do that. But I want to talk a second to those of you who've already done that. And you're here today, and somewhere back there, maybe as a child or or a few years ago, you began a walk with Christ. You began to follow Him. You gave him your life. But you've never grown. Your faith is no stronger than it was then. Your commitment level is no higher than it was then. You come to church. You sit through the messages. You sing the songs if you like them. But nothing ever really changes in your life. Your commitment, you don't step out and do anything in faith. You don't live closer to God. You don't give more. You don't serve more. You're just kind of stuck in a rut. Doing the same old, same old. And you never allow God to do anything fresh in your life. You can stare at the backside of an oxen. Not when you're looking this way, by the way. In your spiritual walk with God. Do you know that? It's, it's easy to just skate by, to, to never do anything out of the ordinary, special, to never really uh, uh, fall in love with God, to never really have that defining moment when your commitment level changes. And I'm afraid that, that a large percentage of folks within the church aren't living lives of ridiculous commitment. Let's just be honest. It's, it's no different than it's ever been for you. There's nothing new under the sun in your life. You're just hanging on, getting by, waiting for God to call your number. Do you really want to go through life just in that same old, boring, monotonous way when God wants to do spectacular, amazing things for you? Somehow or another, when Elijah placed that cloak over Elisha, Elisha knew that God had something amazing in store for him. And, and you know what? It, it doesn't even say that Elijah said anything to him. He just put a cloak over him. And here's what Elijah said. If you will give me 15 seconds to kiss my dad, that don't take long. And my mother, I'll be right with you. I'll be right with you. Just give me a, just, I don't care about these oxen. Here's the next thing he did. He killed the oxen. I don't know if he got permission to do that or not. He killed the oxen, and he burnt his plow 
and cooked the meat and had a party. Now that's a going away deal right there. So I want you to see the principles that are at work here. There are a couple of principles of ridiculous commitment that Elisha demonstrates in an amazing way. The first thing is this. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. <laughs> Ever been on the nominating committee of a church, by the way, to anybody? Just, just lift your hand. These people have been wounded. They've been rejected over and over again. Yeah, and, and here's what happens. We, our nominating committee will meet and we'll, we'll try to think of people who we think might like to notch up their commitment a level or two, you know, who might like to take a job and serve, who, who might like to burn their plows, who might get tired of looking at the backside of oxen. We don't ever say it that way. But we're looking for people who are willing to serve. And here's, here's, a, here's a kind of an example of a conversation between a nominating committee person and a person asked to serve. Would you like to serve on our worship council? Matter of fact, we've prayed, we've thought of your name, and we want to ask you today if you'd like to serve. Well, what will I have to do? How many hours will it take? How long are the meetings? Can you promise me it won't mess up my life? Now that's, you know, I hope I stepped on your toes today. (laughs) Because I, I hear tell of those kind of conversations in practically every arena of our church. Would you like to work with our teenagers? No, I'm not crazy. (laughs) Would you be willing to go into the preschool area and mess with children? No, I don't have armor. We weigh it to be sure we're not going to overcommit. You ever think about that? What we're really saying to God? God, please don't put me in a position where I have to actually do something for you where it kind of messes up my life. We take mission trips every year. Not only do some of you constantly refuse to be involved, there are some of you who are critical for those who go. Why are we going there when we could go here? And when we go here, you don't go there either. (laughs) It's like, Commitment, ridiculous commitment, is like a foreign idea to a whole lot of us. We want to know the details. Here's what I've learned from Scripture, and if you look at it, you'll agree with me, I think. There are times when I believe God is intentionally vague about His calling. When He wants faith to be the motivating factor in your choice. He he talked to Abraham, and he said one word, go. And Abraham, with that one-word command, left everything that he knew 
and moved. When he said to Moses, go, it took Moses a little while longer to get motivated, but he got there. And he became the redeemer. He said to Peter, as he stepped out of the boat onto the water, come. And Peter came. You don't see God explaining to people who had ridiculous faith and who were willing to make a ridiculous commitment how everything was going to turn out and every detail of what he's asking them to do. God is looking for people who have a desire to step away from where they've been, to quit living boring, mundane, spiritual lives, bereft of blessing, bereft of His presence and His power, and is saying, what will you do for me? Come. Go. Get busy. If you wait till you understand fully, if you wait till God gives you the details, if you wait to see how many minutes or hours it might take you to do something that God calls you to do, you'll never do it. You see, sometimes you don't need to plan your future. You just have to be willing to respond in the present. Has God ever called you to do something? God ever called you to a next level and it just be the worst thing that ever happened to you? You see, what God calls you to do and, and the response of faith that you make will always wind up in a positive blessing. Always. It's your reluctance it, 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 it's, it's your hesitance that keeps you from blessing, that, that keeps you from having ridiculous faith. I dare say that there are folks here this morning who are caught up in some things where maybe you need just to hear one word from God. One word from God about what he'd like you to do. Maybe, maybe if you're honest today, you'd say, you know what, I'm in a, I'm in a rough marriage. And, and some days it's tougher than others, and some days I just want to get out of there. I just want to get away from him or from her. Maybe God's one word is stay stay. Maybe you've been sick for a long time or you know someone, someone you love struggling with health issues, and maybe God's one word is trust, trust. Maybe there's an addiction that you've struggled with forever, and it, it kind of rules your life, if you're honest. Maybe God's one word quit. You see, God doesn't tell you how it 
all is going to play out. He just says, go, quit, stay, stop. Maybe you're a young lady and you're dating the wrong guy. Maybe you have a daughter who's dating the wrong guy. Break up with a bum, right? Sometimes they'll use more than one word. I mean, we could go on and on and talk about where you're at and what's happening in your life and what you're struggling with, but, but, but here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line. Whatever it is, God has a way out for you. If you'll listen and have ridiculous faith. Here's the next thing we learned from Elisha, and I love this. Those who God uses the most are those or are the ones who hold on to the least. Now, do you see what happened there? This this is ridiculous commitment in in my mind. Elijah put the cloak on Elisha. Elisha didn't know where he was going or what he was going to do, but he knew the man of God was in front of him, and he knew the man of God and God himself had chosen him. And so he didn't say, what are the details, where we headed next? He said, I just want to get a couple of kisses and get out of here. And then he, I don't know if this was symbolically or if he was just hungry, but he started to take care quickly of option B in his life, didn't he? He, he was getting rid of his comfort zone. What did he do? He killed the oxen, the 12th pair of oxen. He'd spent a lot of time staring at them. He killed the oxen. He didn't mind to eat his pets. And he burned his plow and cooked them. It was like he was saying, plan A is obey God. And there is no plan B. Plan A is to obey God. And there is no plan B. He didn't leave himself anything to fall back on. He was breaking his ties with where he'd been. And I just want to tell you this morning that some of you have never, ever, ever stepped out in faith because you're too comfortable where you're at. Now, I'm not telling you to burn your house and take off. I'm just telling you, quit allowing your present to keep you from your future. Some of us need plow-burning faith, don't we? Some of us need to say, you know what? I do have this in my life, and it's kind of okay, but I'm going to be willing to give it up for something better. something better we need to step away from our security and head towards our destiny now you write that down the way I put it in the outline don't get messed up or you'll make a big mistake (laughs) my uh, 23 year old son John Todd, when, when he was maybe 23 days old, was given a little white teddy bear by somebody 
just because he was cute. And uh, we, we thought a while about that and, and decided to name the teddy bear Teddy. <laughs> and everywhere that John Todd went, Teddy went. I mean, he just carried him around from the time that he was old enough to carry him around. Uh, over the years, my mother would patch Teddy till Teddy became more patch than original material. Somewhere along about the eighth grade, he realized that he'd get ridiculed for bringing it to school, so Teddy's education ended then. But if you were to go to his apartment today, you'd find Teddy. You see, a lot of us kind of hold on to our security blankets, don't we? to our security bears, to our security jobs, to our security relationships. When God's calling us to something better and something different to our destiny. I want you to do something for me over the next year. As you read the Bible over and over again, I want you to find me somewhere in the Bible where God says, hey guys, let's play it safe. Let's play it safe. I will take you and feed you 17 white castles. If you can show me anywhere, in the, it'll be on me. <laughs> If you can find a place in the scripture where God says, let's play it safe. And you know why he doesn't say that? You were not meant, you were not created to stare at the backside of oxen. No, you weren't. Amen? You were created to have ridiculous faith matched with ridiculous commitment in order to accomplish ridiculous things for God. You believe that? Quit being a baby and get busy, crazy busy with what God calls you to do. There was a guy named Hernando Cortez. In 1519, on the last leg of a journey, Hernando Cortez gathered 500 soldiers and 100 sailors, 16 horses, and put them on 11 ships. Ships is a big word, probably closer, or a big concept, probably closer to the truth, were 11 boats. And Hernando Cortez sailed from Cuba to the Yucatan Peninsula with those 600 people with the sole purpose of claiming Montezuma's treasure. Now, if you know anything about history, you know that that was the richest treasure in that period of the or that time, that generation of the world. And army after army had went into Mexico and tried to capture that treasure. It was worldwide known that if you were to get that treasure, you'd be set for life. 
Army after army had failed. So Hernando Cortez gets these folks on the boat. Eleven boats. And he hops from boat to boat to boat on the journey. And he has pep talks. He creates this vision for his people. He said, here is what your life will look like if we capture this treasure. Here's what your children's life will look like. Here's the wealth and affluence that you'll be able to pass on to your children. Everything is going to change if we take this treasure, if we commit ourselves to this. But about halfway there, because some of them were Baptists, they started to whine. Oh, we shouldn't be on this boat. This is a scary thing. The waves are high. You know, this treasure, everybody has tried to get it, and we're just going to get killed. And it's just, you know, it's just more than we can do. Uh, <laughs> you've been to business meeting, you know. <laughs> so they get there. Because he wouldn't turn back. And they land. And he, he does it a little different. He doesn't just head to the treasure and try a sneak attack. He, he gathers the people around him for a few weeks. And they have meetings about the treasure again and how it's going to change their lives. And, you know, he just draws the vision again for them. Kind of gets them past their own, own land now. Gets them past their whininess. And then comes the day they've determined to attack. And so he calls another meeting. And he's, they're, expecting, they're expecting to hear you take these guys and go over here behind those trees. and You go to the right flank and you cover here. We'll attack at a particular time. They're expecting to hear the strategy for this big attack. But here's what Hernando Cortez said. Let's burn our boats. <laughs> they said, what? <laughs> he said, let's burn our boats. And they did. There was no plan B now. The only way to make it home was to take the treasure. There was no way out. That's all they could do. And so they fought. And they won. Because they had no choice. And I believe that's what God's saying to you this morning. You've really got no choice than to step out do something new and fresh and bold, ridiculous. Maybe it's trust Him in salvation today. Maybe it's restore a relationship. Maybe it's sign up to do something you've never done to serve God. Maybe it's just to allow yourself to love and trust Him. Can I tell you, there's no plan B when God gives you a plan A. There's no plan B. 
There's no better way. There's no other way. Ridiculous commitment. Staring at the backside of oxen. Ridiculous commitment. And there's no one in this room that God doesn't have a calling on their life. It's just up to you how much faith you have. Pray with me. Father, your invitation is one that's simple and sure. It's you're living this way and I've got a better way. You've got burdens, I'm a healer. You've got sin, I'm a savior. And so each of us this morning are are, are faced with a choice to keep on keeping on, to keep doing the same old, same old, or to, to commit ourselves to a higher calling, to something that might seem on the surface impossible, to something that takes us out of our comfort zone. Father, my prayer is that no one here no one here would walk out of here without allowing you to grab hold of their hearts and say this this is what could happen in your life if you just follow me in Jesus name Amen we're going to stand and sing the altar's open ridiculous commitments calling, communion, for you to have a moment with God. But whatever he's asking you to do, guys, you know you'd be foolish. You'd be foolish not to burn your boat and to trust him.